The Hard Shoulder. With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. You're very welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy standing in for Ivan this evening. Now, every Friday on the show at this time, we take a look back at the stories that really got us talking over the past seven days. Joining me for this edition of the final furlong in studio, Alison Cummins, journalist and communications consultant, Nora Owen, former Justice Minister, and Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUIG and political columnist with the journal.ie. You're all very welcome. Thank you very uh, much. It's not down on our list of topics, but uh, I have to ask about Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Larry, Start with Larry. Yeah. <laughs> were you watching last night, I like did. everyone else? I did. I watched an, an awful lot of it, and uh, it was uh, an extraordinary day in every sense of the word, uh, both in terms of Christine Blase Ford's testimony and then Brett Kavanaugh's robust, to put it mildly, uh, response. Um, we, the judicial nomination process in the United States has been politicized for a, a long time now, but yesterday really mocked uh, a very, very... Uh, I don't know how to describe it, to be honest with you, because you had a, a credible uh, accuser, uh, someone who clearly hit, w- had been through something terrible, uh, and at the same time you had somebody robustly denying something from 36 years ago. Where this leads, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Nora, you were following well, well, it as well, I, I'm sure. I, I didn't kind of sit glued to it all night or anything because uh, on a Thursday night you probably know I play bridge. Mm. And so I went to my bridge and then I came back and watched some of it on the news. Um there's a number of things that disturb me about this and um, there are accusations being made against the Democrats and I think that needs to be clarified. Was the story available? Was it held until this happened? And, you know, in politics, you've got to look the round. But two days ago, I watched Trump. Uh, clearly, somebody had briefed him and said, you may not be able to keep back on this fellow. And he kind of came out and said, well, I'll listen. And if it happens and it happens, I might have to change my mind. And then this yes, last night and this morning, he's right back on, on course again because Kavanaugh has, has absolutely denied it. Something happened. And this lady um, clearly has carried the pain of it. Um, and there will be worries about how she kept it quiet for so long because this man has been a judge. So I'm absolutely sympathetic to what she's saying. I just hope that um, there isn't something sort of underhand that has been done. And I don't think this man, whatever the outcome is, is suitable to be put onto the top court of the land in the US because the way he handled it as well, he, he was really unbelievable the way the comments he made about the Democrats, the comments he made um, he said, well, whatever happened to her and maybe something happened to her. There's something about him that I think it'll carry, he'll carry this if he does get approved. And I hate to say, I think he probably will be. Yeah, Alison, I was struck, you know, I could understand maybe some of the anger. Like if you were if you were in a position where you, he didn't do it and you were being accused and you saw this being kind of taken away from you. Uh, but the, the, some of the accusations he threw at the Democrats, like that the whole thing was a farce and that they had held this over from him and that they had, you know, I, I can't, the, the, he, he, he talked about how they had twisted the role of the Senate Judiciary Committee and the entire Senate's process in, in judicial appointments. Like it was very much a bipartisan address. It was, absolutely was. A bit like Nora, mm. I dipped in and out. I didn't sit glued to it, mm. but I do 
worry that what I did see might have been tightly edited because I saw him not covering himself in glory at all. She seemed very calm and composed. They're of the same demographic. They they moved in the same circles and culture. So chances are they do know what they're talking about on the type of thing that happened. But what concerns me is, is that the, it kind of smacked of Bill Clinton-esque. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, which is the anger, which is the he's thinking much more about himself than than the wider accusations or or even considering what this woman may have gone through. And yes, to start bringing it into, uh, well, let's blame it on the Democrats. Not, let's not blame it on a culture when I was growing up. Or the I question is how he'd be like on the courts. Well, that's mm-hmm. exactly it. And very much like Nora, I think, surely there's somebody who hasn't been tainted with anything out there who's equally as qualified and we can set him aside and let him deal with his own issues on his own time. Yeah. It's internal politics then. You can't get it done by the midterms probably, can you? And then you lose well, the house in the midterms then you can't... Or you, yeah, I mean, you that's, know, the it, big, that's the big thing that's looming in the background yeah. here and that's what all the politicians and political operatives are watching to see uh, what bearing this might have. And I think it's important to note that in 1991 when Clarence Thomas uh, was accused of sexual harassment by Anita Hill, the very next year was 1992, the year of the woman in American politics where an unprecedented number of primarily Democratic women were elected to office. Uh, that should send chills down the spine of Republican politicians at this moment. Did you know what a devil's triangle was before last night? I didn't. No. What is oh, it? God, what is it? Oh, well, oh, apparently... Well, well, I, I don't know. Well, I, tell I you mean, what, it's not a sexual thing, is it? Well, the, <laughs> the implication was that it is a sexual thing. And there are oh. some out there who would say it is a sexual thing, but Brad Kavanaugh says it's actually just a drinking game. Oh, oh go on now, you've yeah. teased us oh, now. Yeah. No, or should no. we just Google later on? Yeah, just Google yeah. a devil's okay. triangle. And he was asked about something that had a reference to... Um, passing wind uh, and he said we were only 16 and we yeah. called it some word beginning with B. Yeah, yeah. But a boofing or something. Boofing, yeah. oh, yes. Well, it yeah. seems so a anyway. bit low It's all grade. a bit childish it's all a bit that, yes. Anyway, we will stick, uh, we'll go highbrow now. You know what, they go low, we go high. Uh, actor Will Smith <laughs> turned 50, I know. Uh, he celebrated by bungee jumping out of a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. Uh, it seems to be a little extreme. Uh, take a listen to Will hanging out of said chopper, completely euphoric after his jump. This is some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen in my life. This is gorgeous. From pure terror to absolute bliss. So that was uh, Will Smith. Do you, are you big on birthday celebrations, Nora? I, I quite like birthdays. I'm not big on them, but I can tell you, even if you put a million dollars in front of me at the plane, at the door of that plane, I would not have jumped out of a plane. I wouldn't have jumped out of a plane would to parachute and I wouldn't have jumped out of a plane to bungee jump and I wouldn't jump off a bridge to bungee so jump. Push I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm not good on heights. I'm, I would be careful getting up on a chair or a small ladder at home unless there was somebody standing beside me on whose head I could We always like that. I have a little bit of vertigo. Okay. I, when I was young as a child, I used to look out windows and say, I'm sure I could jump out and fall safely down that four-storey building and nothing would happen to me. It, it's a kind of an urge. If you ha- suffer from a kind of a vertigo, sometimes you actually want to see, does it actually work, that you actually would get smashed against the pavement if you fell out the window. So no, I would not do this for my birthday. Did your parents spend much time peeling you off a well, footpaths? No, no, they didn't. Sadly, my father died when I was only four, so it was my mother who had to kind of look after us. And plaster was the best we got. You know, there were six of us and we, all <laughs> had, to, we had to do our own thing and not a lot of knee grazing and all that sort of thing. No, I mean... If if it turns, if it floats your boat, get out and bungee jump. But I mean, I watched something on on a 
on a, a television program with Francis Brennan where somebody they were doing this bungee jump, the highest bungee jump in the world. I think it's in South Africa. I just thought this is the maddest thing. And what I don't know is they never show you what happens when you get down to the end of the bungee jump and you're swinging in the wind. How do you get out of it? Do they lower you very slowly well, you, down you, to a pad on the ground? You know the one they say about the two lads who are standing at the top of the bungee jump and one of them says, God, I don't think I have the balls for this. And his friend says, don't worry, I think they tie it around your ankles. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Karen. I thought we were going high. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't do this. No, no. A, a nice uh, dinner party or uh, a few drinks with friends would suit me for my birthdays, not bungee jumping. Alison, people are getting increasingly narcissistic about birthdays, aren't they? Isn't this a kind of birthday week? You ask people in here, even in news talk, I'm going to out them, and you say, What are you doing? Well, it's my birthday weekend, they'll say. Oh. I've never heard of that birthday weekend. It's utter nonsense, See, but it's kind of becoming you were a just thing. just going to ask me the. Straight out, would I do it? Well, and would you? I'm saying yes, bring it on. I'm 49 next month, which means we're all good at maths. October next year, 2019, I'm going to turn the big 5-0. And I say yes, I'm entering total bucket list territory. I've always wanted to do a jump. Really? Uh, when I was about three or four, I used to put my brother's scouting rucksack on my on my back and he used to jump off the toy box onto the bed and I'd know how to jump and roll and everything. So yeah, I say bring it on, I would Super do it. Woman. In fact, maybe I'll just say, live on radio, okay, I'll do one next year. Yes, you have, well, you have year. to now. And, I'll, yeah, and do you know I have what? to do it for charity, if I have news to do whatever. Talk, news Talk are going to sponsor you. I think that's a great idea. We'll pick the charity yes. and, and yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Okay. Larry, would you then? Absolutely not. Not oh, a chance. No. I'm, no, I'd be very much like Nora, probably a bit worse. Uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm afraid of heights completely and I'm absolutely terrified uh, of being in an airplane. Uh, and people always say you're the most easygoing guy, et cetera, et cetera. And my wife would say, try being in an airport with him. And when you're flying over and back transatlantic, Terrified. you still don't like the Absolute, whole way across or just the take off and across. landing? When I'm in a plane and I see people laughing and having fun, I get actually angry. I say, how could you possibly be having a good time? We are 35,000 feet in the air in a tin can. How could you possibly be enjoying this? Basically, when I get on a plane, let's put my hands like this and pray till it's over. Really? The yeah. whole way? But the it's the way. stewards and stewardesses you have to watch. If they're calm and relaxed and laughing, you're okay. If they're tense and getting a bit worried, then I get worried. Have you ever been on a dodgy flight? I've been on a number of dodgy flights, but my definition of, do- of a dodgy flight would be like one little bounce and it's the worst flight ever. Uh, I've been on a couple that were turbulent enough and uh, I'm terrified, but I always get to that certain point where... Uh, I say, look, I told you this was going to happen. Um, that oh. smug self-satisfaction. <laughs> My idea of a dodgy flight is when they run out of champagne. So. Oh, oh my gosh, look oh at that. Living yeah, in a different yeah. world. Well, I'll tell you whose world Alison is living in. The president, possibly. Uh, the Public Accounts Committee have looked into presidential spending this week. It was revealed that there's an annual payment of 370 uh, €317,000 that is paid to the office of the president. Uh, it, it's been there since the foundation of the office, but uh, the, the level it's at has been, it was established in 1998, at €317,000. Um, the meeting heard that the presidency had direct expenditure of 3.6 million in 2016, but this increased to 8.2 uh, when the cost of related items such as security and maintenance and the ORS and all this were included. Uh, you know, th- this has become a big issue. Yeah. And I suppose on one side you have people looking at these figures Nora and they think oh, these are alarming it's amazing no, that no one's overseeing alarming. it and first of all this, this allowance has been in the system since 1938 and the last president uh, had this allowance and nobody questioned what Mary McAleese did with it um, I did a kind of quick calculation and they say it was for covering 
state dinners and visiting prime ministers and all the rest. So I sort of reckon about 200,000 of the 317 would be for that kind of high entertainment. And the rest would be for the 20,000 who go in and out, which works out at about five euros a head when you divide and do the math. And I I mean, I've been, I have to declare an interest, I have been to receptions uh, in the afternoon. I was at a tea tea party recently in the afternoon and it was to celebrate the 100th anniversary Mm. of voting and all that. And, you know, it was lovely. And if it was five euros to have me there, I thought it was worth it. And a lot of people were there for the first time. They were enjoying themselves. It's not legitimate to ask who's pocketing the five euros. As in that, well, the, it, the you know what I mean? Isn't. No, but but some company, some catering company is. Yeah, but that's and is okay. that good? Does it's that go out to tender? Service. It's giving. It's giving service. Well, Who's I don't the know. They you probably know what I mean? have no... to tender for the for the, that kind of thing. But it's just an unusual figure, the three hundred and seventeen thousand. So it's obviously gone up gradually each yeah. year. I don't know where the seven. You know, like and I assume there was a euro. There was a conversion from punts from to punts euros, into well, euros and that. But I mean, the president was quite adamant. Michael D was quite adamant. He he was not pocketing it. Sabina was not pocketing it. It wasn't for, wasn't the dogs weren't pocketing it. You know, it was it was an allowance for entertaining. And our first of all, the Auras is a wonderful place to entertain. It is a very prestigious thing to bring our new ambassadors there and uh, leaving ambassadors leaving and the prime ministers and presidents that come to the country and the royals and all these kind of people. We would be the poorer, I think, from the point of view of image in Ireland if, if some of those activities weren't available. And the, this president and previous presidents have carried that duty well. And in a way, I can see why some of the politicians might want to have it out mm. there. And I'm glad it's out there and let it go now. I mean, this nonsense of some of the new candidates saying, oh, well, I won't do this. They will do it. Their job is to entertain and their job is to greet and meet people. That's part of the job. It sounds and, like a very diplomatic yeah. response there from yes. somebody who yeah. might run in seven Oh, no, I'm not running. No, 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 I'm absolutely not declaring an interest at all at all. So, Larry, are we all getting... Although somebody uh, shouted out their car uh, yesterday. Are we all kind of me. dancing to the tune of someone else's fiddle here by no, I mean, bringing up expenses? It's it's a pittance. It's a non-issue. It's, it's ridiculous, man, to be perfectly frank. And one would have to question the timing, given when this is all coming up. Uh, one would have to question it. This is bigger than Michael D. It goes back to 1998. The Aris is a wonderful place. I've been there a number of times. Uh, I think it's wonderful to and go. And you had your five euro worth. And I had my five euro worth with a cup of tea and a biscuit. <laughs> All right. It's an expensive biscuit. Anyway, look, uh, uh, Nora, Larry and Alison are going nowhere. Alison's going to run, though. You see, she's oh, sorry. You see, I thought you meant she's going to run out of studio. Yeah, I said, no, 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 she's not. She's going nowhere. Sorry, I haven't even been to the hours yet. Oh, have so, you not? No, oh, well, nor when you're sure there, you'll, you correct. won't even charge When it's champagne instead of uh, tea and biscuits, then Alison oh, will be there. We'll be, we'll be back after this quick break. You're very welcome back to the Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy in for Ivan this evening. Alison Cummins, Nora Owen, Larry Donnelly still with me in studio. And we're looking now at cancer warnings and alcohol. Of course, this is big news during the week. It's been big news for quite some time. We had Padder Tobin on the show a little bit earlier uh, saying that the warnings should be in Irish as well as English. But anyway, Simon Harris has accused those who deny a link between alcohol and cancer of spreading mistruths. Uh, the Public Health Alcohol Bill was back before the doll on Wednesday night. Uh, it didn't pass after a four-hour debate. Some TDs voiced their opposition to plans by the Health Minister to introduce cancer warnings on alcohol products. Um, this, I suppose, is one... There was a U-turn on a U-turn, Alison, really, because about five days ago, or six days ago, maybe, uh, it was a fait accompli. This, the cancer warnings were going to be gone. It would be general health warnings. Uh, but we're back to cancer warnings. When I saw this first, Kieran, uh, my instant reaction, and it's the God's honest truth, was, sure, this will never work. It's not going to make a whit of difference. 
Irish people don't like being told what to do and they don't like pointing out, well, that something you really enjoy doing might be bad for you. But I'm kind of doing a little bit of a U-turn because it did force me over the last couple of days to do a bit of research, see, well, really, could there possibly be a link between cancer and alcohol? And what the conclusion I came to was, well, look, it would do no harm for us to know that if you draw back a little bit, that you might feel a little bit better. Although I did look at the government guidelines and there's a great line in it where it says, drinking for health reasons is not recommended. I thought, well, that's fairly obvious. (laughs) (laughs) But it does... I did learn that, yes, since the 1990s, the likes of teenage girls have been drinking a lot more than they used to. They're now sometimes on a par or even worse than their male counterparts. Uh, It it made me, as a woman, look at the, the specific health issues that you can get as a result of drinking too much alcohol. Be that, there does seem to be an increase in breast cancer. There does seem to be an increase in, in certain types of bowel cancer. So possibly it just couldn't do any harm. And mm. that's probably where I've left it. Larry, it was interesting during the week because there was a WHO survey out as well about levels of teenage drinking. And like that, they, they did go up a huge amount from the 90s. But from about 2001, a peak in 2001, they've been coming down and down and down. And it was amazing because Simon Harris was tweeting out links to this survey saying, look at the levels of drunkenness in Ireland. We need these warnings. And then people on the other side, uh, the we'll say the food and drinks lobby side, were tweeting out links to the exact same report saying, oh, no, this backs up our argument. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting that you can make, I suppose, statistics can be yeah. spun any which way, uh, depending on who's spinning. Um, and look, I don't think these labels are any harm. I mean, there's no question about the fact that alcohol can do damage. But what I'll say, and I've said this before, is I, I do think uh, this country generally is a little bit too hot on itself when it comes to drinking. And I say that because uh, in terms of drinking culture, the drinking culture I grew up in in the Boston area is at least as strong, if not stronger, uh, than the drinking culture here in Ireland. So from a relative point of view, I just think that there's a little bit too much. I think people are a little bit too uh, harsh on themselves here. And I think there's a little bit too much policing. Maybe, dare I say it, a little bit too much nanny state uh, around all of this. So, uh, look, I think the labels are no harm. But uh, at the same time, we have to look at the stats, and the stats show a consistent drop in alcohol consumption. Uh, and let's not just say we're all drunks, et cetera, et cetera, because I just don't think that's true. And if you went to Boston for a wedding or anything like that, I can assure you the drinking levels would be pretty damn high. Mm. I just listened to something Alison read there that you shouldn't drink for health reasons. But from time to time, you get war- you get uh, ad- uh, people saying, glass of red wine a day is very good for you. And there are many people living now whose mother, when pregnant, always had a glass of Guinness every day because it developed and got you strong. I was told because I've yeah. got iron deficiency to do that. And that wasn't exactly 100 well, years ago. Yes, I, I know. And, and, I can and, tell you when my mother was pregnant, she had well more than a glass of Guinness she, a day. Yes, I know. <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not advocating kind of heavy drinking when you're pregnant. But when you think about it, the, the cycle, the cyclical way in which things are used and popular and and. Um, I think that that lowering of of consumption. There's a kind. I was talking to some young people recently, and they. It used to be very cool to be kind of get your cans and go into the local park. Apparently, it's no longer cool now to do that. Okay, and in a way, that's why. And the other thing My is Friday night plans fam- ruined. Family, what? yeah, <laughs> families. Um, you know, parents and that must be aware that it's good to let their children have their friends into the house 
where even if they are having a few cancers, there's a certain amount of control over it. For a long time there, it was always out, out, and they were locked out and told to go out and they were down in the street corners. But I think parents must also recognise that the family home is for young people as well and they should be allowed to have their pals in. And, you know, that's... I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a really good point. And I think there's another point about teenagers. Well, I think teenagers are often stereotyped. But from what I can see, and I have a stepson who's 19, I mean, him and his friends seem to be more interested in going to the gym and physical fitness oh, yeah, than they do uh, in alcohol. And, I mean, he went away to Magaluf, as so many of them do on, on, you know, after they do the leaving cert. But they were going to the gym every morning. And I'm looking at him saying, I probably would have gone drinking every morning if yeah. I was 19. Yeah. Yeah. Putting on face masks and creams yeah. and everything. Because yeah. there's a huge increase in sales for men's products now for the gym and everything. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, you're just a little bit... Beyond that, aren't you, Karen? Oh, oh I'm a little bit beyond that. Exactly. Yeah, no, there certainly wasn't. Look, on that note, we better check in on the latest news headlines. You're very welcome back to the Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cudahy. My guests on the final furlong this evening: Alison Cummins, Nora Owen, and Larry Donnelly. We turn our attention now to a survey from our own University of Limerick, no less. The life expectancy of women and children increases as more female politicians are elected to public office. Uh, this is a study from the universities around the countries with parliaments of at least 30% women had a significant reduction in mortality rates. Thanks to their influence on policy, the research examined mortality rates in 155 countries between 1990 and 2014. And it showed that the proportion of women in a national parliament reached when it reached the UN's minimum goal of 30%, mortality rates for mothers and children particularly fell more rapidly. Nora, I wonder about this. Do you? I just wonder about, suspicious about it, causation you? and correlation. My God, those are awful big words now. But you know, <laughs> whatever it, they mean. <laughs> you are more likely in a more advanced democracy, if we'll call it that, mm. to have higher f- levels of female participation in parliament. And cons- and you will, in tandem, but not as a result of, have better health outcomes for all of the population. Well, I, ironically, I think Ireland is about 81st on the list of countries from the point of view of the percentage of women parliamentarians. And contrary to what you say, some of the least developed countries actually have a higher percentage because they started their democracies, as it were, later and they have set up special seats. So you take a country like Rwanda and that they have a very high percentage. Now, there's no doubt the Scandinavian countries have all moved into the higher levels. Oh, bloody Scandinavians. No, no, they're they're wonderful. But I mean, this is an interesting survey. And I say one up for the women that they're actually getting. I mean... There is a logic in this. If there's, if there are more women, some of the issues that are raised, for example, the big caucus meeting that was held recently, and I wasn't able to go to it, but I was following it. And the issues that are raised are uh, things of health and work conditions and maternity conditions and the, those issues that sometimes men politicians find it a bit harder to actually talk about. I mean, I remember the late John Kelly, those of us who are older enough to remember, he was a wonderful speaker. But uh, when we were doing all the 1983 referendum and that, and, and John Kelly stood up and said, here we are, a whole lot of middle-aged men's, men working our way around the fallopian tubes. You know, he kind of just said, you know, there's yeah. something mad about it. And, 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 uh, but he, he was able to express that it was a necessary part of the debate and the discussion. Um, but, I mean, I think this survey is, is hitting at something that is probably relevant to this country, that the more women that are in there, the more some of the topics that get a really good airing and then ministers have to listen and then legislation is amended and changed. And if you look at the debate on the cervical cancer, I mean, there's been a lot of things that have not been handled well through the years by the country. I'm a great fan of 
the breast check thing because I had very good experiences yeah. every time I went to use it. I'm past the age now where I get to use it. But it worked so efficiently. And I used to say, why don't all the other outpatients departments follow what breast check do? Give you your appointment at quarter past three. You get there at ten past three or five past three. You get ready. You have your test and you go away again and you're gone in 20, 30 minutes. But yet the, they still haven't managed to get the kind of health issues right for all, both men and women. And I think this survey may wake people up and say, well, look, why not? Why not put a few more women in there and make sure we live a bit longer? I don't know how many years it's added to my life. I don't know how many years <laughs> Alison thinks it's added to her life, but hopefully about another 10. <laughs> all right. Alison, anything about this survey surprise you? Well, I feel a bit humbled talking about women in politics in the yeah. presence of Nora Owen. No, don't. But look, we all want that at least magic 30 number of 30%. And anything that gets more women into politics can only be a good thing. Obviously, excuses are still needed. But when you're looking at, and look, this is a great survey and I, I love the fact that it has come out of the University of Limerick. But the studies are also there in the African nations and in the likes of India and Pakistan, as Nora mentioned. Yes, possibly because they are still more developing, but the changes are there. Possibly they're demystifying some issues that male politicians simply have never understood. They haven't brought in enough women to understand that. And anything that will help change the culture and change the mindset, I think, particularly in the areas of education and health, are crucial. And there's a, a film called Sliding Doors, yes. which I don't know if anybody oh, ever Jesus. remembers. It's the yeah. two. It's the I tried two, to forget it. It's yeah. the two. Well, the idea of the two different. Uh, <laughs> what, what could happen in the parallel universe? And I do every now and again think, okay, she wasn't perfect, but I'd love to see what you, the US, the landscape of the US, would be like if Hillary was at the helm. Mm. It would just be a very interesting. Uh, yeah. Experiment to see what the landscape would be like. Larry, the woman at the helm. I, I, like health and and the uh, and the he- like, say mortality rates for mothers and children are obvious ones. But I remember it's funny because obviously there's lots of Anglo stuff, or I mean, uh, bank guarantee stuff around today. And part of the narr- narrative after that was that you know it was all these men, and it turned into particularly around the Anglo tapes that it was this kind of pissing contest. You know what I mean? And that if there was more men, more women on the boards of banks and around cabinet tables and all that sort of thing, that there was less likelihood maybe that things might have spun as far out of control, that there would have been someone to say, lads, you know, kind of mm. zip it up, put it away. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with you. And I, I mean, in, in the reason I agree with you, I suppose, is from one um, point of view that uh, I think fem- feminists would broadly agree with me in saying that there's all sorts of very, very good reasons why uh, more women should be involved in politics, not least of which of these is that they are roughly, from a purist democratic point of view, they're roughly half half the population. So why shouldn't they be roughly half the people in our parliaments and our legislatures? But the other point, and this speaks to what you just said, is that and mightn't be so popular with some feminists anyway, is that there are decided differences between the sexes and there are decided differences between uh, what we prioritize, how we think, what we think about, um, what, how we would conduct ourselves. Um, and I think that's manifest in what you said about the Anglo tapes, etc. But it's also manifest in the study in the sense that those are issues that for men, they mightn't be on our priority list, whereas women are very close to these and intuitively they grasp how important this is. And I think, again, to strike maybe a non-feminist tone, that does point to the fact that there are differences between the sexes and also at the same time that points to the reality that both need to be represented equally in terms of our democratic, democratically elected representatives. And there are lots of men politicians who want to talk about these issues. They have partners, they have wives, they have mm. children and they're aware of the kind of difficulties that might be out there. Even if it's something 
fairly simple. I often quote when I when I started in politics, I was coming straight from minding my children in the home. And I felt, oh, God, I don't know much about labour law and all the things that were going on in the workforce. But I knew what was going on locally, that the health, the local health clinic had had uh, mornings when children were brought down. But the, the room was upstairs and you had to carry a pram up the stairs. Yeah. And, and some of us got together. I was always giving out. We got together and we got the room moved. We got the room moved downstairs where you could leave your pram at the door and keep an eye on it at the same time. Small things, but made life an awful lot easier. And nobody in there in the health centre had thought about that Absolutely. until some of us mothers had said, look, do you not realise we're a hauling baby under one arm, a pram and the bottle and the nappies and the whole lot all up the stairs because you were afraid they'd disappear. Absolutely. So <laughs> it was a very simple thing. And, it may, and also things like the bus service. You know, the bus services are after nine o'clock when everybody had gone to work. They thought, well, it's only housewives at home. We don't need a bus every uh, every 10 minutes or 15 yeah. minutes. And suddenly you go out for a bus and there'll be a long gap of an hour, an hour and a half. They come back again then for the evening. Small things that were not on the table of people who were planning they, and you could raise those. I, 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 the one thing I'd beg to differ with Nora, they might, they might seem like small things, but they're actually oh, they're very, very big, big things, things yes. for people. And these are the kind of things that women would grasp at a very deep level, whereas most men wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. all right. Uh, look, uh, we have to move on. I'm afraid uh, people might have seen the story. Larry, I'm sure you did. A priest in Carlo has overturned a decision to scrap Holy Communion for children after an angry response from parents. Uh, children from three schools in the parish of Aska have been told there'd be no Holy Communion Day and said they could make their communion on any Mass Day in May. Parents objected to the plan and it looked like it looks like now the decision is going to be overturned. Uh, Brenda Power chatted to lunch, Lunchtime Live during the week and this is what she had to say. But what good are those people? What good are those fair-weather Catholics who won't be there the following week and weren't there the week before? I mean, I have heard uproar from schools from time to time when priests have suggested, you know, timidly suggested that maybe for the six weeks before communion you might attend church with your kid. Parents are outraged at the very suggestion. So what good are they? Larry. I know this is something that annoys you. Oh no! I mean, I, I get, I get what Brenda's saying uh, completely, but at the same time, uh, I think that the the first communion day is a day that most of us Catholics remember forever. Uh, it's something that's indelibly etched in our minds. So I get what the priest is getting. I get what he where he's coming from in this. But what I think would be much more helpful, perhaps, is if we have a first communion day, and I don't know how enforceable or policeable this is, but certainly some kind of parent grouping getting together as to what's acceptable in terms of, you know, do you get a limousine? How much do you spend on getting somebody's hair done? What are gifts? You know, what do you have? All these kinds of absolute rubbish that go with the day so that you can have the day, have the celebration, but let's cut the over-the-top stuff out of it. Yeah, it has gone nuts, hasn't it, Alison? Arshay, look, you can't win, okay? Yeah. Parents give out about the pressure of the day and the cost and, and uh, you know, wedding uh, day. taking over. And then they bitch then if you take away the pressure and say, well, okay, relax, have it whenever you want. What next? Tell a bride that she can just turn up in her frock at any Sunday Mass and she will do it. The only thing I'll say is, is that... That would have been handy. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. Absolutely>. yeah. <laughs> just forget to tell you to turn up yeah, on the day yeah, whenever yeah. you... Haven't quite coordinated the mass yet. But uh, when I was christening my daughter, we booked the christening, etc. And we didn't know until we turned up that we shared it with three other people, three oh, other couples. Only yeah. three. Yeah, and oh. we just presumed it's your day and we've booked it, etc. Yeah, you're a little bit, mm, okay, oh, yeah, I thought you? this was mine. And then you realise, okay, this is lovely. 
and we shared it with other people. But look, yes, if we could go on and on, you could fill the rest of the programme with how crazy communions are gone. But you will not please everybody. And as you say, somebody was complaining, oh no, we want to come to the same Mass. But there's no community group or parent group who's going to come together and decide which Mass they want. So somebody has to do it for them. And that's why I still think it needs to be the one day when everybody can turn yeah. up, whether it's their the only time of the year or not. He, he forgot about the training or the preparation and the preparation is all the time during the time of coming up to communion. I, I've been to the masses on Sunday with my grandchildren yeah, and they do. I mean, the school says they, they should go to yeah. mass for several weeks before and there's somebody ticking a box to say you were there and that's fine and the children love it and they sing on the altar and they carry up the gifts and they, they do the, the, the little prayers and everything. Um, but the priest was going to say, well, just turn up and if it's if she's in her white dress, we'll give her her first communion or if he's in his little three-piece suit, we'll give him his first communion. Um, sometimes you can't tell whether they're making the first communion or not. So, so I think I I think leave it be. But let's just be a little bit more circumspect about the amount spent mm-hmm. and the Absolutely. the the um the wreath and veil and then there's the umbrella. The, they don't call it umbrella parasol. And there's the socks and there's the things. I mean, it is used as a kind of a nice family gathering yeah. as well. And ninety percent of schools have a school uniform, so I don't know what's wrong with just. Ah, going no, in not a school for first communion. Uh, no. for confirmation, confirmation yes, fine, I have no yeah. problem. Just go, don't uniform. take away the little I'd, white I'd dress. I agree, agree, agree with no. the uniform. Yeah, you just wear oh, the even uniform. For the first communion, yes, yeah. Ah, no, they're they're lovely. As, as my mother used to always, as my mother always used to say, God doesn't care what you look like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I hope not, because my sandals and Bermuda shorts and my communion were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we went out to Jenkinstown. Woods for a walk around the park. Did you? That was Did you not that, have that a party at McDonald's? No, or because that no? that wasn't done. Was it wasn't not? a thing. But you're not that old, Kieran. I'm telling you, you're a youngster. Yeah. Yeah. Still my best story, and it, whether it's an urban myth now yeah. at this stage, but it's folklore in Drogheda, is that the family who were going to be late for the Mass yeah. on the Communion Day, so they skipped straight to the restaurant. Oh, no. <laughs> well, do you remember the late Jim You do that for told, weddings, all yeah, right. Yeah, the late Jim Mitchell <laughs> told a great story that they were all lined up, the children were all along the front of the church and they had all their lovely little clothes and the next thing somebody in the audience among the parents pressed a button and one of the children wings opened on their back Oh my God. He told that story one day at a parliamentary party meeting and we just all broke up. And apparently, you can do that, you know, but now I don't think we should, but they did it. That's and, brilliant. And the children well, my, my four year old told me last weekend that he thought the church should have statues of diggers in it instead of these people. So, oh, really? uh, that, so there's an idea. You mean, yeah. you mean digger machines? Yeah, digger oh, machines. Yeah, a, not, oh, yeah. not men you diggers. Look no. at these things. He says, why isn't there statues of diggers here? Things that yeah. people are really into, you know? You need to yes. have a little chat with yeah. them. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, yes. Uh, no, well, we, what you've told us is that you do take them to church. Oh, well, maybe we were just walking past anyway. <laughs> uh, time for this. You have any idea how fast you were going? Oh, funnily enough, I was just talking to my friend about that. Our speedometers melted, and as a result, it's very hard to say with any degree of accuracy exactly uh, how fast we were going. 78 miles an hour. 78, huh? Well, yeah, I could buy that, sure, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, you would know better than us, uh, especially since we got a melted speedometer. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. I, I, I believe that. I know it's not pretty to look at, but it'll get you where you want to go. Now, you got no outside mirror. No, we lost that. You have no functioning gauges. No, not a one. However, the radio still works. <laughs> as that may seem. 
the late great John Candy uh, from the classic film Planes, Trains and Automobiles. The reason we're playing it is a survey. Less than 40% of Irish drivers are likely to offer assistance <laughs> to a broken down motorist, according to a new survey. Nora, would you stop for someone? Um, I, I think I would, if it was daytime, I probably draw a line a little bit at night and I would I would make a phone call. Nowadays, we all have the phones and the Bluetooths and things so we don't have mm. to be dangerous. I, I'd be nervous enough stopping in the dark. I was a great giver of, of lifts in my younger days, you know, hitching when hitching doesn't, you never see anybody hitching now. No. And uh, But I remember being down in a holiday in Kerry and uh, hitching myself and then giving other people lifts when I'd be when I'd be in the car even when I was on my own I remember doing the Senate campaign God for, in, in 1987 and um, you know you'd, you'd want the company nearly and you'd stop and then getting lifts in cars with a cow in the back or, or a calf in the back or something you know, a farmer <laughs> would stop and you'd get in and it was great fun but it's it's probably a little bit less safe now for for people even young men it mightn't always be safe for them to stop but if somebody was in... I don't know how true that is. I think you're actually safer now. People just didn't oh, realise yeah. it at yeah. the time. I don't know whether... You see, I wouldn't be any use at a serious accident. I don't have any medical training or that. And, and I know even medical trained people are a bit nervous about stopping at an accident and having to... Um, uh, you know, carry because you uh, the whole insurance thing now. And if you help somebody mm-hmm. who's hurt on the road and then the person dies or becomes very ill, you know, are you sued or all that sort of thing. So there's a lot more to it. So I think if the, if you see something untoward at the side of the road, probably make a call to the, your nearest police station. Alison? I have and I do and I will. Yeah, really? I do. I have stopped. But yeah. strangely enough, yeah, um, whether it's coincidence or subconsciously, not at night time in general, yeah. but I have stopped, especially if it's a woman. I'm I'm not going to be able to do anything, but I can either make the call or hold the baby or, or see. So I'm, I am a nosy old cow, so I will stop. Um, and, 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 and luckily as well. You said it, we didn't. <laughs> I also, uh, I've been a lifelong member uh, as long as I've been a driver of AA. AA and I've never, ever had to actually have them there because I'll always call them with a a tyre usually a blowout or a puncture or something somebody always comes to stop and help before they even get there and that is thankfully and that's why I'm thinking I don't know maybe Irish people do stop because I've always had somebody uh, some now okay I have a confession I will take out the gear and I will go to fix it myself and I will look completely incapable and distressed and that's probably when a knight in shining armour does turn up. <laughs> but I'll make the effort and I would do it if I had to. Yes, but but I've what the listeners can't lucky. see is how gorgeous Alison oh, is. You know, and she stand at the back of the car <laughs> holding a jack. <laughs> I know, <laughs> scratching my head. Push, pushing it into no, the No, full well I could do it, you know? but Jesus <laughs> yeah. Christ, I hope I don't have yes, to. Yes, I know. Yes, yeah. Larry, statistically speaking, you don't stop. The survey is to be believed. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it comes down to the circumstance. I think that's a big part of it as to whether what's going on. And I think one thing we haven't spoken about is people are always in such a hurry right these days. If you're in a car, chances are you're traveling quickly to get somewhere as fast as you can. So I think that the reasoning for people not stopping in many instances might be, well, so-and-so has piano lessons or has training or they have to be to work or whatever it might be. I think that's a big part of it. I think you kind of assume as well they have a phone and they have AA. You know, like I kind of assume that I'm actually no help here. That's why I Mostly if you see somebody stopped, they are standing as if they're just watching the traffic to see who's on their way to help them. And They just um, don't look helpless enough. Yes. That's it. Listen to Alison. Although we were going to a funeral once I remember my sisters and myself were going down to Kerry and the, we got a puncture 
and we stopped under a bridge near the Nace bypass there and we were we did look completely helpless. We had and we had wreaths for the funeral. So there were we put them all along the side of the road on, on the kind of pillars. Because we had about five of them mm. in the car. We put them out and then we were all standing around and then uh, two men did stop in their car and they took off the wheel and everything. We just stood and left. And did them they help. say a little yeah. prayer as well right. just then, while and, they were there? They were very nice and then we had to but we had to go in then and get the tire mended and all the rest. So it's quite right. a ordeal, yeah. Uh, well look uh, on that note, my thanks <laughs> to the panel, Alison Common, Nora Owen, Larry Donnelly for coming into me on the hard shoulder this evening. That is your lot from the show for this week. My thanks to the production team, editor Mark Simpson, senior producer Ashley Moore, producer Dan Fanagan, researchers Kira Courtney, Elaine Power and Steve Daunt. Off the ball is up next. Ivan is going to be back on Monday with the hard shoulder from four. I'll be here on Sunday from eleven. Have a great weekend. 